0: We've known for a while that the Orthodox world has a leadership problem. But after the events of the past 10 days, I suggest that our leadership problem is officially a leadership crisis. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. The news that convulsed the Jewish world last week about Chaim Walder's suicide, following many credible accusations against him of sexual abuse and harassment, ended up highlighting our leadership crisis. Some prominent rabbis in different sectors of Orthodoxy said and did the right things, but many did not. Some of what these other leaders publicly asserted was ignorant, it was hurtful, and it was damaging. It's damaging when leaders of orthodoxy put the blame for Walder's suicide on those who exposed his horrible crimes. It's damaging when leaders call the whistleblowers, the heroes, evil, call them murderers, call them people with no share in the world to come. It's damaging when the media outlets that listen to these leaders lionize Chaim Walder using terms like Zecher and treating him like a great man of the generation. It's damaging when leaders don't call out these media outlets and condemn them. It's damaging when the chief rabbi of the state of Israel pays a shiva call to Chaim Walder's family. They're victims too. But the fact that he visits them when he obviously doesn't visit the vast majority of lesser-known families sitting shiva indicates, as my friend Rabbi Nathan Slifkin wrote, that the man who died was unusually important and special. How damaging is it? Well, last week... One of Walder's many victims, Shifa Yocheved Horowitz, died by suicide, apparently triggered by the great honor shown to her abuser after he died. Yes, we have a leadership crisis. The occasion of Walder's suicide didn't create the crisis, but it might have caused the crisis to reach a boiling point. The question now is, what do we do about it? To talk about this crisis, I spoke with Rabbi Yosef Blau, the senior mashkiach ruchani at Yeshiva University. First, please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum page on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. We have some fantastic discussions there, so check it out today. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few dollars a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining the Jewish House team. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or record and relax and let us do the heavy lifting, JCH Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com, that's jchpodcast.com to learn more and to sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage your audience today. Rabbi Yosef Blau was appointed Mashkir Ruchani, spiritual guidance counselor, at Yeshiva University in 1977 and currently serves as the senior Mashkir Ruchani there. He's been involved in many educational and communal endeavors, including serving as National President of Yavna, as President of the Religious Zionists of America, and as Vice President of the National Conference of Yeshiva Principles. As I said when I interviewed him last year, I feel that more important than his impressive formal credentials is his standing as a voice of morality and ethics, and as a Talmid Chacham who demands that Orthodox institutions and individuals live up to the high standards that the Torah has set for us. Rabbi Yosef Blau, thank you once again for joining me on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast.
1: It's my pleasure to be here, even though the topic is a very difficult one.
0: Today we're going to speak about leadership in the Orthodox world, or a lack of leadership in the Orthodox world, or problematic leadership in the Orthodox world, which has been made that much more acute and more obvious by the terrible events of last week with Chaim Walder. I've been thinking about Sefer Melachim and Tanakh, And the way that we see the kings versus the way that we see the Navim, with the benefit of hindsight of 2,500 to 3,000 years, we look at the prophets, we look at the Navim as the people who represent us, the good religious Jews, whereas the kings were the irreligious anti-God, anti-Judaism, to use a phrase they wouldn't have used, anti-Judaism people. And we, of course, are the successors of the Navim. But sometimes I wonder if we can go back in time and... Try to think the way that the kings themselves and the people themselves thought all those years ago, maybe from their perspective, admittedly, these kings and the people were idol worshippers very often, but maybe from their perspective, they were not just the Jewish establishment, they were defending Israelite religion as they saw it. They saw themselves as defending, quote-unquote, Torah values as they understood it. And the Nevim, the prophets, were the evil reformers only with hindsight we see obviously the navim were right and we see ourselves as the successors to the navim and i wonder even though of course the religious leadership today if asked would see themselves as the successors to the navim to the prophets maybe in years to come we'll look back at them as not the successors to the prophets but the successors to the kings who may have thought they were doing the right thing but were very very misguided
1: well we know certainly from safer yirmiyahu Though it's clear in Yeshayahu as well that the Navi, well, I can talk about Leo, the Navi was seen as the troublemaker, the one who was disrupting the normal society. So, yes, in that sense, the kings saw themselves as representing stability, proper society, where they saw themselves as religious figures or not, I'm not sure. But certainly they saw themselves as leaders of the people, given the position and having these troublemaking uh, newvem come around and tell them everything is terrible and you're gonna, and gloom and doom and uh, unless you change your wake radically you're gonna have Horborne.
0: It's a warning to us today, I think.
1: Um, it's a complicated situation, because we're not talking about the problems of the political leadership. We're talking about problems of rabbinic leadership, right, who not only see themselves, but we see them, their training, their background, the process in which they're selected with all its lack of clarity is one that they are the rabbinic and religious leadership, and yet, in certain real ways, they're failing, and that's a terrible crisis.
0: Let's talk about some of the ways in which they're failing. I'm sure that many of our listeners know some of these examples. Let me just mention one. This past week, the Rosh Shiva Pinovich, Rav Edelstein, who is a God of the Torah. no one's questioning that fact, but some of the things he said in the wake of the Walder situation— were very, very upsetting. He said that, and I'm now using my own free translation, someone who has sexual intercourse with a married woman has a share in the world to come, but someone who embarrasses his friend in public has no share in the world to come. It's obvious that what was done to Walder is murder, and a murderer has no share in the world to come. That's an example of a top leader in the religious world saying something which is morally repugnant.
1: Well, there is a an attempt to clarify that he didn't quite say that though I just read that another Rosh Shiva in Panovich said it quite openly whether he said it or someone else said it. There is an attempt to being very technical in requirements of proof to then uh, use that to somehow deny that anything was established. And therefore it's all barabin. Even the backtracking, which took place in the second version of the statement, uh, my, my impression was we came from the realization that they had just justified Walter's suicide, mm-hmm. which in itself is very halakhically problematic. Certainly the attitude toward suicide is different Today, it's ready to be different for hundreds of years from that which is found in the Shulchan Aruch. But that's because we understand mental health. We understand that many, many of the people who commit suicide do it because they're depressed, doing because they are not mentally stable. And at that moment lose to a great degree the ability to make a choice. They just see everything is totally hopeless. Very hard to ascribe Walder's suicide to any of this. Mm -hmm. The fact that it was done in such a manipulative way, right going to his son's grave, and then the the letter self-justifying, calling the rabbis who were judging him based on on evidence as that he's going to take them to a Dintara Vashramayim, which, of course, doesn't mean anything at all in real terms. So I understand why they had to back off from that, but the bottom line is there was no realization that there was overwhelming evidence. And I don't wanna get into a technical discussion, but there certainly are enough sources that say you don't need kosher witnesses, we're not talking about in, um, a, a best in judging someone to get punished, uh, punishments that best and can't do with in, in these days anyway. There, there are all kinds of troubles including one very recent one from Mavadji Yosef on this. So that is particularly troubling because this is dealing with basic halacha and dealing with human lives. It's very troubling. It's part of what has it apparently been a very defensive attitude within various parts of just world, certainly within the Haredi world, in this very strange mixture of saying, we're going to take over the country. Our numbers are growing all the time. We're the most holy and best element and at the same time, being a, so defensive that we can't deal with a, acknowledge any weakness whatsoever. And by the way, the comments, when we talk about the religious community, some of the comments in the religious Zionist community among leading rabbis, um, equally troubling.
0: I was just going to say that, that it's not only the Haredi community by any means. I think it might be concentrated there a bit more, but... For example, Rav Svitau, who's the president of Haramor Yeshiva, the see over there, some of the comments he said, I'm going to read them right now, quote, this is my own translation again, this is all built on lies, it's all lies and deceit, don't believe a word of it, he's speaking about the Walter allegations, there is no truth in any of these stories, there is no investigation and no baiting. Rav Shmuel Eliyahu is suffering from McCarthyism. Everything you heard was fabricated, and they're paying Walder back exactly as they did to Moshe Katsav. He then threw in the former president of Israel, who was convicted of rape, saying he also was blackballed, or they also wanted him out of the picture, and the actual allegations weren't real. And he says this is all because Walder apparently said some things against the Supreme Court in Israel, so therefore they're paying him back with all these false allegations. Aside from the conspiracy thinking, which is absurd in itself, to go up and say these terrible things, I'm sorry. I, I, With all of his great Torah knowledge, this is completely clueless.
1: I found his comments, in many ways, most disturbing because they were obviously absurd. Then, Even the very notion that, let's say, the supporters of the Supreme Court are somehow nefarious people who will make up anything, but that they are terribly concerned because Walder wrote articles in Yateid Ne'eman against the Supreme Court. You don't have to know much about Israel society to know that that's not a threat to the Israeli Supreme Court, what's written in Yateid Ne'eman. And to somehow connect from Shmuel Eliyahu whose political views are certainly well to the right as part of this conspiracy is simply bizarre. And that's, I can't even begin to deal with with this because it's very strange. Uh, But it it also comes to the whole question of who are the leaders? How we select leaders, we could find other voices in the Haredi Rabbinic world, in the, certainly in the religious Zionist world, obviously it was Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu himself, or Rabbi Silman, mm-hmm. a dianin, well-established dyin in Nebrak, who with another established also took on Walder even before Rabbi Eliyahu. And the question is, who are the real leaders? It's a real question because we haven't established criteria for determining who are the real leaders without diminishing any of the names that were mentioned, the process, first of all, because of the various religious political parties in Israel, each one having its own mo'etzes, whatever term they use, and the need for, certainly in the literature world, which sees itself as based totally on Torah, of declaring the head as the God al-Hador. In fact, it's very interesting because I'm, I'm in New York and I'm watching responses in America. And responses in America are very different from Israel. And one of the reasons is because Rab Elstein is not known in America. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the need to defend the Godot is not great if you don't even know who he is.
0: That's a good point.
1: And therefore, in American society, it's overwhelmingly it, amongst those places where they talk about, like Rasuznayas, which is a Haredi source. And if one follows it, the shift over the days from trying to show two sides almost totally... Accepting the fact that Walden did what was, he was accused, it became not even a you know a topic of discussion, and the realization that the application of Malbem, Bnei Mechaveru and Lush and Hara was halachically very problematic.
0: It's very problematic halachically, obviously. It's, but I'd say it's. It's even worse in the sense that it's basically telling people who are survivors and victims of abuse, you can't say anything. That's the implication as much as they try to say that's not what we mean. It's not only that it's not applicable, it's that it's actually
1: dangerous. Yes. I think one of the most significant things, and I've seen it in a few places, and it's not top leadership, but I think it defines the issue very well is the Facebook statement of apology by the lawyer for Walder, Mm -hmm. who spoke at the funeral. He's also a personal, was a personal friend, and literally accused the journalists whom he had never spoken to and had no idea what additional information they had besides what appeared in the stories and called them murderers. And in this Facebook apology, whether it's adequate if for what you said in front of thousands of people, that's a another question. He made two points. That someone asked him, if it was your child that was abused, would you go to the police? And he responded, of course not. In our community, you can't. It's not a question. By the way, it would ruin her life. That I've, known, I've known for some time that the claim that the issue is a halachic issue about going to the police because of misera is not really true. And I doubt if it ever was the real issue. The issue is where the community is at and what happens to someone who goes to the police. And you're saying misera is an excuse
0: about. more than an actual halachic argument.
1: Oh, oh, clearly in this, in this, in this case. Um, I don't want to get into a halachic discussion, but there's enough sources and Postcom who've said it openly. Uh, just a quick anecdote. I was at a conference about abuse a number of years ago in Israel, and the following was said by one of the rabbonim at the conference, that a woman had a child who had been abused by a teacher in school, and she went to a prominent rab in Nebrak, known to be sympathetic. And she asked the rav, am I allowed to go with my son, or I don't know, son or daughter, to the police? And he said, yes. But then he added, but no, that if you go to the police, all your children will be thrown out of school.
0: Was he saying this as a threat by himself or just a consequence that he knew would happen independent of himself?
1: Well, it's unclear. But I realize now that he was telling, he was telling what was probably true, that that was a consequence that was going to happen in in all these cases. And we're not even going to go into the whole question of shiduchim and everything else.
0: Which this lawyer talked about, too. He said, I can't do it. They'll never get a shidduch. That's one of the things he mentioned. Right,
1: right. But then... The second question said, okay, if you can't go to the police, then what can the victim do? And he didn't have an answer. The supposed internal mechanisms clearly haven't worked. They're not even, they're, they are not even really seriously exist. And with this, I want to talk about something very specific, rabbinic mm-hmm. in leadership. In Chicago, a number of years ago, where there were two Bate Din, one of whom was the CRC, Chicago Rabbinical Council, with the Rush Bezdin being the late Rav G'dayadav Schwartz, Leracha, who was also the head of the Bezdin of America, and the Aguda Bezdin of Rav Shmuel First, also highly respected. And they got together with the third Rav, to make a special Besdin to deal with abuse accusations. So this is bringing together the, let's say the modern centrist Orthodox community and the Aguda community, respected by everyone in Chicago. And they started dealing with cases. And there came a case involving the head of some seminaries in Yerushalayim Yush- in brought by, a young lady in Chicago who came home and went to the Besden. They interviewed a few victims. They even got the head of the seminary to give some kind of confession. So it was being taken care of. Then it somehow got shifted. Why? Because he was the head of these seminaries. To close down the seminaries would mean a number of other people would lose their jobs. And they didn't want to lose their jobs, obviously. So there was a Besdin in Israel, which dealt with the, not about him theoretically, but dealt about with any other people responsible, should they have known or might they have known. And they heard testimony from the girls that people did know, were told, or they certainly should have known, they was, saw behavior that was obviously way out of line, late at night. And the Bez in of course, chose to protect the jobs. And uh, in effect, while the original accused was forced to sell his seminaries, he got hushed up, the whole thing. He sold the seminaries. He didn't just leave and get nothing. He sold them. And it basically took apart the president in Chicago. So even when the procedure was set up with a rabbinic court, a rabbinic court that was respected by the various components of the Orthodox community, it was ineffective in the end.
0: I was going to ask you about that, even, let's say, for example, Rav Shmuel Eliyahu's last Sunday, heard 22 testimonies against what Walder had done, testifying to the terrible crimes he committed. Let's say Walder were still alive. Now what? What can he even do? A Baton doesn't have the ability to try criminal cases in any modern sense of the term.
1: That, uh, you got, you're making a very important point. because And this also deals with some of the complaints against the Besden. Everything is ill-defined. You're right. If the in finds him guilty, then what? Not the fine. The process that the Bezdin uses. Clearly, we're not talking about having to have halachically kosher witnesses on each of the crimes. In most cases, the only witness is the person that had been abused, who's a baldover. It's not. Not even a question that it's a child or that it's a woman. It's, it's, the, it's the person in the case. So we're not talking about that standard of witnesses. And yet, in the criticisms of the Besden, this came up. It's not a real Besden, you know, cultural witnesses. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that the whole thing was ill-defined. to start out with. Besden is a magic word, right? It's the right word to say for something within the halachic system. And yet, in this particular case, no one knows exactly how it's supposed to function. We all agree, I thought we all agreed, that if someone is accused of crimes, and God's supposed to go before Besden, he can't simply say no, right?
0: Right, which was crying. what Walder said.
1: Right, no. And but the problem is that if he was sharper, I'm surprised he didn't, he would have done what works in present times. He would have said, I want to go to a different Besdin. I don't want your Besdin. I want to pick my Besdin. And then we go back and forth, ending up with a zabla, a Besdin where each side picks one of the and the two pick the third, a process which unfortunately though, discussed extensively in the mission in the Gemara doesn't work very well today because the Dianim are picked by one side and their advocates were down to only one neutral party. And even then it's negotiated, it's very complicated. So there's not even a, a process, a proper process within the society to talk about. So really the challenge is what is an appropriate response? And then comes the question, well, who's to determine it? Here you come back to your leadership, right? So whatever the backtracking was, there was no statement from Redelstein saying, well, this is the way, the proper way to deal with these accusations, right? This is how our community responds and deals with it. We know the community, both the modern Orthodox and the Kharedi community, has failed to deal with abusers, which doesn't mean there's more abusers than other communities. A lot of other communities have failed to deal with abusers. Right? You know, it's not a competition. That doesn't
0: absolve right? us, though.
1: Right, it's not a competition. But this is a community that doesn't want to use the resources of the police and the state and doesn't present an alternative
0: the nature of abuse itself makes the utilization of a bait-din even should the bait-din have power to implement a punishment a difficult if not impossible solution which brings me to something that Rav shlomo viner from the religious zionist community said this past week about the walter case he said that because proof has to be given in a bait-din with both sides present and both sides weren't present therefore he has a presumption of innocence and it's coming from a place where even if he were right about the way he understands how Din should work, and even if Din actually had the power to implement some sort of punishment or consequence that would actually stick, when we're talking about abuse, to insist that the victims face their accuser in an adversarial manner, which is how we presented it, it's just not realistic in the the way that these things work now. Not to mention the fact that each one's a baldover, each one's directly involved in the case.
1: But it's more, is it worse than that. Because... We now have learned and having been involved in a Besdin that did not succeed in dealing with a case over 30 years ago, um, we've learned a lot since then. And one of the, one of the things we've learned is that overwhelmingly abuse situations involve an imbalance of power with the abuser being an authority figure whether it's an older relative, whether it's a religious leader, a political leader, but in any event, an imbalance, a total imbalance of power. And the abuser has invariably told the victim, no one's going to believe you anyway. I'm the rabbi, I'm the father, I'm the psychologist. Who's going to believe you? So when the victim has to testify in front of that, powerful abuser, it's not the ordinary case of a witness testifying with the other person being there. The whole dynamic is very different. Rabbi Viner's response was completely technical. Completely technical and I think halachli incorrect as well. Remember, the Gemara talks in Machin and Shalom and Adin. Malkin Alotov Hashmua. What does that mean, Al-Tova it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there was a formal best in process right? There was a colored law parsec. What's more than t- 22 witnesses is more than a colored law a Word out in the street that doesn't stop. But I, I, can't, I can't justify every individual's response. The challenge, it's on two levels. On one level is, The challenges on the community is, you know there's a problem, you don't have a solution. You have to either make it possible for people to go to the police by supporting them, not saying we're going to let the person who was victimized ever get a shidduch, or even their sisters and brothers, they have to be supported completely. One. Or two, if you're not prepared to do that, come up with another solution. And no one's trying. I mean, with all due respect to, to Forum Takana, which was a, a major step in its time, it's limited to certain kinds of cases. And all it has successfully done is gotten some people out of education, out of Chinuch and Uh And then it goes back to going to the secular courts. And that's much more than exists in the Haredi world. And apparently there was a something set up in Bnei to deal with accusations of abuse. And of all people, Walter was the one in charge of it.
0: Yes, I heard about that absurdity as well. You're making so many important points. I wanna ask about two of them in particular. I happen to be reading over Shabbat an essay by Rav Rabinovich of Malaya Dumim, where he talked about one sense of morality when it goes against apparently, something that we see in the Torah. He used Amalek as an example when our natural moral sense might go against something that we see in the Torah, and he made the important point that you don't just throw out your moral sense. You have to deal with it, but you can't put morals aside. It's not nearly as simple as, well, the Torah says otherwise, so therefore I'm going to ignore my own sense of morality. He says it's much more complicated than that, and a person's sense of morality is a part of the way God made us, and we have to use that and take it into calculation. So from what you said, I want to ask two questions. Number one, when you mention someone like Rav Aviner or others who look at the technical din, even if they were right halakhically, which we're not saying, but even if they were right, why are people so often, it seems, leadership ignoring obvious moral problems? When someone's abused and to side with the abuser or the accused abuser, there obviously is some moral lacking at that particular point. And my second question, which is related to some other issues that you mentioned, Where does this drive to defend the abuser come from? We see it over and over. Where is it coming from? Why is there this natural, visceral reaction that it's all lies? Where is that coming from? What's the source of such a strange attitude and, and troubling attitude?
1: I'll try with the second first, even though it's very difficult. I don't think it's to defend the abuser per se. It's to defend the sense of our community. Our people couldn't do such things. You know, I once, I've said more than once, so I'll be quoted saying one more time, that the difference between the Haredi world and the modern Orthodox, the religious Zionist world, it's, it's hard to define in these terms. It's more complicated. Is that the Haredi world says, a rabbi couldn't do this. It didn't happen. It must be made up. Couldn't have happened. And the modern orthodox world says, oh, of course it can happen, but not X. I know X. X couldn't have done it. So in the abstract, yes, we know it can happen. It's very difficult. And the particular problem with abusers are, you know, they're not like a gangster. You know, a gangster often looks like a gangster, right?
0: right abusers aren't cartoon villains who are no, always bad not. at all times and it's obvious that they're bad
1: no many of the abusers look i would never read walter's book so i don't know but millions of copies have been sold people felt that they learned a great deal not just that they were popular but they were very valuable right they taught
0: my kids like almost everything. all kids in israel thought they were fantastic
1: right so obviously, there's a talent there, you know, and and the talent was something that had a positive impact, obviously destroyed by what he's done, so his late his contribution frankly is going to be that this is one case that's not going away. He thought by committing suicide he would end it, but on the contrary, I think it just tightened everything, and in- there's no question. And this is not not disappearing. Uh, I was just reading, someone sent me a couple of articles uh, attempting to come up with a new approach within the Haredi world and with the always given assumption that what's done outside in the secular liberal world can't be what we do. It has to be wrong, it has to be wrong, but our, our approach so far has been wrong as well. We have to come up with an approach that's consistent with our world and yet different. Now, none of these articles really clearly demarkets what this approach is gonna actually do, how it's gonna work, but it's a struggle within the community, which I think is, is real. These are beginning attempts, to come up Mm -hmm. with some some kind of process. Unfortunately, getting back to the leadership question, and it's both in Israel, it's also political as well as rabbinic. The Haredi politicians certainly have never been helpful in the slightest. I agree with that statement. All right. They've not been helpful. And the, the mentality has been such that no one even claims that the religious Knesset members, who not only are personally observable, but represent religious parties, have to be any more moral than anybody else in Knesset. So once again, the head of Shas party, this time there's a p- plea deal. He already spent years in jail, right? He's giving up a seat in the Knesset, but he's still going to run the party. And no one has any difficulty with it.:
0: That's the worst part that the party says he'll still run it from the outside, right? As opposed to throwing him out and saying this person is an ethical disaster as a religious party. We can't stand for that.
1: The second time, you have the most prominent person in the other Haredi party who said he's going to retire after this, and said, but he, mm-hmm. he's under suspicion for protecting a pedophile.:
0: It's awful, It's truly awful. It's
1: truly awful.
0: These are our leaders.
1: So the political leadership is, 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 is a problem, particularly in Israel, where the po- political and religious components are interconnected, which is obviously a whole discussion of a different type. Uh, now, I don't want to tell you that in America, it's so much better. What is better is, as I said, where it's discussed, the defenders of Walders are very, very few even though you will still get what comes from a secular source can't be good. So an investigation by reporters in Haaretz, independent of how many witnesses and the fact that if they get their facts wrong, they could be sued for libel. And the libel laws in Israel are, are much more in favor of the person who sues than the libel laws in America. And even in America, I know from, involvement over the years, before a newspaper will write an article, they make sure their lawyers go over it to make sure the paper isn't sued. So it's not just the reporters.
0: But there's still this attitude that if Haaretz wrote it, it has to be a a hit job. It's false by definition.
1: Right. Now, these are investigative reporters who've written about other people, not just Haredi people. Look, we're in the process that people are just unable to cope with what's going on been going on. And well, with the leadership, begin to deal with it, so far, it hasn't been very promising, I must say. I haven't seen the people who've spoken up in the Haredi world, and they're prominent, but they're not accepted as the leaders in the community. And there's not a single statement saying we are re that's all. Just we are reevaluating, And this is where, unfortunately, the doctrine of Das Torah inhibits them from admitting that they made a mistake. Moshe Rabbeinu can make a mistake. Davide Melech can say, but Das Torah says they're always right.
0: And now we're talking about the Walder situation, which has brought this to the fore. At the same time, I don't want listeners to think that that's the only example you mentioned, Rabbi Blau, before, the problem of politics. Why isn't the Haredi religious leadership, rabbinic leadership, that stands behind Shas, for example, saying, of course Aryeh Derry must be kicked out of the party and no longer involved after being sent to jail and then being accused and convicted of the same thing again? When Gimel has its leader, who's now retiring, also protecting Malka why isn't the rabbinic leadership saying this person can no longer lead the party or I am no longer going to be associated with that party? Why isn't anyone saying that?
1: You have to ask them. <laughs> I have no justification. No explanation whatsoever. I think that the notion of Rabbanim as moral leaders is rarely found, unfortunately. It was I can yes be back to the
0: other question that I asked you then about why they're ignoring the moral sense like in that always case always of Rav Avinair.
1: The stories that, you know, when I was a youngster, the stories about Gadolin were not only how smart they were and how much sorrow they knew, it was all about how wonderful people they were. You know, it was all about their, their, their moral character. It was, a, it was a given. Look, I'm a mashkiach the yeshiva. The Musa movement has really two fundamental elements in it. One is concern about ethical issues. All the stories of Arabi Salanter. And also the, the stress on Yerash and, and fear of doing anything wrong, davening longer. It evolved, unfortunately, until the second half is what they expect. If you ask a boy, what is does the mashgiach give a about? Come to Minyan on time. How long is your shmooz asray? Esrei? Now missing a Seder. Which I'm not and those are important. This, they're very important, but the whole other aspect of it is gone. And 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 if, if that's true in the in the Muslim movement, in the world of Hasidus, not talking about Neo Hasidus, different issue, but in the world of Hasidus, completely, you get this bizarre situation of you know, yes, Satmer Bikacholim is wonderful. <laughs> But having the person who just got out of jail for economic crimes sit in the, in the Mizrach van and get all kinds of cover that's fine. It's moral and ethical. And ethical, most of it is, hal- is really halachic, And the moral component is not totally removed from halacha. It's not just natural morality, which I don't dismiss in the slightest, but there's morality built into halacha as well. Mm-hmm. The thin as hadin, according to... The Rambam apparently is primarily a demand on Talmid Kham. Right, we expect our religious leadership to be on a higher moral level. It's a given. We don't talk about it. The stories that they tell are all about learning. Plus, I mean, this is the, we haven't spoken about this at all. We now make ignorance of the world into a great virtue. Right, the stories about Rebel Yashiv, whether it's true or not, I don't know know, that he didn't even know what his children looked like because he was always such a big mass. right? Strange stories.
0: Whatever they mean for Eliyashiv, they're not models for the rest of us.
1: Yeah, but the fact that that's what was stressed, these were the stories. And it's so funny because one generation earlier, the stories of Shlomo Zahra and Auerbach were very different. I know, uh, I'm not saying they're different people. I don't even know. They could have been similar kind of people. I'm talking about what was stressed.
0: The emphasis
1: what the emphasis was put on Um, and there's a notion built into das torah which you know makes ignorance into a virtue so how can someone who is so removed from the world doesn't know what psychology is understand psychological implications of things it's out of their mindset. They don't have a, the slightest connection to it.
0: Let me ask you, Rabbi Blau, even more so. I was looking up the Gemara today, Masechet Sanhedrin, where it says, a person who is too old is not allowed to serve on the Sanhedrin. And the Rambam explains this as Muflag b'shanim, someone who is extremely old. Regardless, there's a certain point when somebody's age disqualifies him from a type of religious leadership. First of all, it's interesting because both Rashi and the Rambam explain it as people who are older have a tendency to become crueler. They forget what it's like to be younger. It's, they forget what it's like to raise kids. One way or the other, though, it seems too often that the people who are recognized as the Gdole Hador, and they may indeed be the Gdole Hador, too often now are people who are in their 90s, 100 years old, people who at that point would certainly fall into the category of Zakain Muflag, extremely old, according to the Rambam, and yet. There's no way at that age, especially given what you said now, that where ignorance is somewhat of a virtue and they're surrounded by people not telling them about what's going on outside the world, it doesn't make sense even according to the halachic sources. Yes, we don't have a Sanhedrin, but as a value, the idea that someone who's out of touch and who no longer is part of that generation can be a leader is absurd.
1: I'll go one step further. And I know there's a problem. The ziknei mem they get sharper. We all know this. Anyone who's dealt who had the schus to Israel know that above a certain age, they can't be Mikadesh Torah the same way. It's obvious they can't be Mikadesh Torah the same way. Not only that, they're subject to all the frailties that come with age. And thank God, in one sense, modern medicine extends people's lives, but it hasn't really fully extended people's health. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and and, and, and and other sources of dementia, which are hitting significant percentage of the population. I become, unfortunately, when I hear some statements from really elderly rabbonim and I, I guess I'm getting close, <laughs> uh, but I'm not old enough yet to make it uh, in the Israeli world, for sure not, you know, <laughs> I'm not I'm close to the 90s. Um, It's clear that they're not as sharp as they were, and they certainly, their sense of the world, because they've lived in isolation, if they have any sense of the world, is many years old. I could think of the famous speech by Rav Shach, who was very, in his own way, worldly, was not unaware when he had to make the decision to go to the right or the left, he spoke about the kibbutzim of 30 years earlier, right? As if there was still the same kibbutzim that he remembered from 1940. And that was someone who was much more aware of what's going on. And people living (laughs) told the the yeshiva in Tnei Brak, how much of the world can they really know, in all honesty? And the world has become very complex. And there are issues that we now understand that we didn't understand before. Even though abuse has always been a problem, I don't think people fully understood the extent of the damage of abuse. No, physical abuse, you can understand. If someone has, a, you know, yes, everybody understands that it's a good thing to have the mikvah ladies trained because if a woman comes to mikvah and they welt on the back, They know that there's domestic violence in a place where no one's going to see it, but the MCMA lady will see it. Because physical violence, unfortunately, you can see the results. Yes, you can explain away the black eye, but it's a black eye. But the effect of of, of sexual abuse are not apparent on the body in any way. So you have to have an understanding of psychological uh, trauma. The whole word trauma didn't exist, right? Most people wouldn't even know what the word is. These are many, many problems. I, you know, I didn't come on just to be a Cassandra. You know, this is how terrible everything is. But we have real problems, and sometimes the worst the situation, you know, I don't know if would we we reach bottom, but it forces us to deal with the problem.
0: Well, in that case, Rabbi Blau, then what, maybe that leads to a more hopeful type of question. What can we do? And I, I was talking to some of my kids over Shabbos about this. And you say, oh, back in the days of Roshol Muzalman Arbach, you mentioned him. I also mentioned him to my kids. I said it was a totally different type of gadol. You mentioned the chesed. I talk about Rav Chaim Brisker, who was famously as genius as he was as a scholar in Gemara, he was also known even more so by his family as Isha Chesed, this ultimate man of kindness and chesed in ways which are unbelievable. On the other hand, Yiftach Bedaro kishmul We have the leaders that we have and we can't complain about them. We have to do something because we can't say, oh, once upon a time it was better. Well, the bottom line is that we have the leaders that we have. So I'll ask you, what do you think we should do to either if it's even possible, educate the leadership that exists, or maybe even better, replace our leaders and get the leaders that would be better equipped to handle the challenges of 2022?
1: Okay, I expected this question, <laughs> and I was thinking of Yiftach Bedoro Kishmul as for, while preparing for this uh, our conversation. The process in which people are pronounced leaders is, a, is unclear, and there's no reason it has to be that way. I have no way of knowing if Rabbi Edelstein is the God of and not the God of Lador. But I know the process in which he was picked made no sense. It was not an open process. It wasn't someone examined his forum, right, his Klushe Torah. Over the years, he demonstrated wisdom. You know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. None of this. It was a purely political decision made. Well, was it the, the, were the B'Abrak people going to win or the Yerushalayim people going to win? And in the Chassidish world, it's the Rebbe who inherits it. And, and which Rebbe has a bigger dynasty, has more Chassid than he wins? This is absurd. And and in the religious Zionist world in Israel, it's chaotic, which has certain myelists. You know, there's certain qualities that have not just one center uh, of leadership. Words, I think some of the issues we face in YU would be different if there was real competition to YU, right? Because then, but if you're the only institution of a, in a certain world, then of course you become very defensive because the survival institution becomes so necessary because there's nothing like it. But if son a major hezzy, she would close, what, the 56 others. So a lot of them are different, but there are a number who will be like it, right? That is a mile in one way, but on the other hand, it prevents real leadership from emerging, right? You have the Nasty of Haramar Haramar is one collection of yeshivas. And then you have a whole other segment, another segment. And we add to this, something we haven't discussed at all In terms of the Israel scene, we have chief rabbis, but they're not respected. (laughs) They're not respected without discussing them as individuals because of the process, it's purely political.
0: Well, let's face the facts. Let's even speak about, I'm not going to speak about the current chief rabbis, but the former Ashkenazi chief rabbi, Yonah Metzger, after he was chief rabbi, he was convicted and went to jail. Before he was chief rabbi, he'd been prohibited from being a municipal rabbi because of things he had done wrong. And yet he was chosen as chief rabbi demonstrating the absurdity and perniciousness of the whole process.
1: Okay. Now having described a problem, so can alternate means be used? In other words, The community, historically, and I'm not talking about the time of the Sanhedrin and the Nasi, I'm talking about in the time of Gullus, the rabbinic leadership were the people who became the leaders, who were accepted as the leaders. There's a story I like to repeat. In the 1970s or 80s, I don't recall exactly when, getting old, there was an article in the New York Times about Ramosha Feinstein. And the reporter asked Ramosha, how did you get to be the leading decisive, leading posek in America? And it was a really good question, because if anyone who lived in America knew that Ramosha's yeshiva, um, Ms. Shalayim, was not a major yeshiva. Right? If you lived on the east side, there was the big yeshiva, that was RJJ, and the little yeshiva, that was MTJ, right? So Ramosha, according to the reporter, said, I guess people came to me and asked me questions. And they liked what they heard. They were satisfied with the answers. They came back and told other people. And everybody got upset and said, no, Ramosha wasn't looking for popularity. That couldn't be what happened. But I think the reporter probably got it right. Because what was what was Ramosha was saying, not that I gave them the socking they wanted to hear. But I think that most people, when they go ask a shayla of a rav, they get a sense of, oh, this rav knows what he's talking about. This rav listened to the question, you know, carefully. This rav, rav cares about people and cares about the implications of the shayla. And if all these three things are true, even if he didn't get the psak that he would have liked to get, he will tell others well, this is a rub you can come to. This is a rub who's talking about trustworthy, who's a person I, I can respect. sense his
0: empathy and integrity.
1: Right. And historically, Kali Israel picked its own leaders. The, the, the religious community, the religious community didn't care as much. The religious community picked the people they thought should lead it. And I think that can start happening. One of the things that's happening now with this terrible scandal after so many others beforehand is that people are questioning leadership that's appointed that they have no reason to know why they were appointed and how they became accepted as the leadership. And I think it's going to have to come to some degree from the ground up. I can't imagine that there's nobody under 90 who isn't a big time in Eretz Yisrael. -hmm. Right, it didn't. You know, it hasn't been so bad for all these years, right? Uh, And if it is, then how come when they'll be ninety, they will be good again? Same question. So it's a question of 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 the community, not so much people asserting themselves because that can be problematic, but the community taking a stronger stand. And I think we're beginning to see some of that happen, where the community is showing that these are the people we respect. And and, and that they're demanding more. Unfortunately, up until now, at least in the Haredi world, and to some degree it's in the modern orthodox of Zionist world, there has been a discouraging of people thinking on their own. Das Torah became not only that you have to accept the psaac, but you have to accept the thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. of of the Gadol who knows what Hashem wants, You've heard this line before, I'm sure. And therefore, who are we to say anything different? And therefore, people have not developed independence of thought. And if they don't develop independence of thought, how could they emerge as leaders? You have to be thinking, you have to be creative, you have to be bold, you have to be imaginative. Right? And learn restraints along the way. We all have to learn restraints too. But we have to think of a whole different method of picking leaders, of picking leaders, even the notion of picking leaders, you know, that we play some role in the process. In Israel, everybody has watched, as we went from Rob Cook and Rob Herzog on the Ashkenazic side, you know, and a little bit later for Rav Uziel and Rav Raja, I don't mean to criticize any other of the Rabbanim over the years, to a situation which obviously isn't, is, there's no claim that the chief rabbis are the key rabbinic figures. It's not, right. even, it's not, it's not even something that's debated. It's
0: laughable. No one thinks that.
1: No one thinks that. And we've allowed it to happen. The community has allowed it to happen. Someone should get up saying, who, who elects chief rabbis? What's the process?
0: Well, we saw the last time that, and I don't know if he would be a good chief rabbi or not, I'm not getting into that issue, but there was an attempt to get Rav David Stav to be the chief rabbi. There was a strong campaign on his behalf, but it didn't work. The favorite candidates by the, I guess I would say the Haredi Gedolim or whoever else, I, I suppose, won anyway, despite the fact that there was a strong push for it's Rav Stav very- to be...
1: And this is particularly strange, because... You know, it's like the Haredim fighting for the kashrus being exclusively in the hands of the official rabbinate when they don't trust the official rabbinate. Right. right? The the hashkocha that I won't use, everybody else has to have.
0: There's something that's so hypocritical about it.
1: Yet they have veto power over it. It's because everything's political. So we have to rethink all these things. This may be an opportunity to start rethinking things. Though obviously... I don't want to take away from the immediate crisis. The immediate crisis is the crisis of the voice of the abuse. And this has been a crisis that has been going on for years and years, and we haven't done very much to deal with it. There's a letter circulating saying that we support the victims. I signed the letter, and someone in correspondence say, but the letter is meaningless. Of course, everybody supports the victim, but it doesn't mean they're doing anything about it. So I said, you're absolutely right. But I'm afraid people who don't sign it, people will not interpret it as saying, they didn't sign it because it didn't go far enough. They'll say, they don't care. They didn't bother signing it. Crisis sometimes is an opportunity for real change. If this may be, may be the opportunity the first step, and that hasn't happened yet, is because we live in a world of media, and as long as the Haredi media doesn't even discuss these things, the improvement is that the Ate Nehmer will no longer write... Does that next to Walter's articles, name? No ...how great he Walter was, the next one they won't talk about. That's not the answer.
0: It's a small step, but it doesn't solve anything.
1: They have to acknowledge that there's something to be talked about. The way you influence is through media, right? And a world that doesn't use social media, then it has to be print media. And both in America and in Israel, there's very little media reflecting the more modern Orthodox community, by the way. What newspapers exist? You have a and a Yotin, a modern English version. You have a Mishpacha magazine, an English version.
0: There's a tremendous need for, I'll call it, centrist Orthodox journalism that represents the ideas of Orthodoxy, but isn't going to kowtow to the dictates of the Haredi world about what you're allowed to talk about.
1: Right. It's a real question. We have, by the way, wonderful modern Orthodox journalists. They all write for secular publications.
0: Well, certainly there are some wonderful Orthodox journalists. No question, as you're saying, I'm referring to Orthodox publications that tell it like it is rather than try to further an agenda. There's Jewish Action as well. That's only four times a year, though. It's something yeah, different. But the
1: Jewish Action made a conscious decision a few years ago that it's only going to write positive articles. Really? Yes. There's nothing, nothing critical can appear. So maybe the company needs a boost. And we need positive articles, but without self-criticism, we're not going to get very far either.
0: So ultimately, what we're what you're saying, Rabbi Blau, is that there's an immediate crisis about the Walter situation. But my fear is, as you're implying now as well, it's going to be similar to the Meron crisis, which was, however many months ago, about half a year ago, when for about a week or two, everyone was saying we have to change the way we deal with things and the way that leadership is able to approve things that engineers should be approving, et cetera, et cetera. And now I'm assuming that. Next, Lagba Omer, there might be a temporary change where this year things are okay, but in a few years, I'm skeptical that it's going to last. No, there will be
1: in will be in because it was given over to us people in their new government without the same commitments in the past. I assume there will be certain controls. But, it's a, but you're right. It'll be a local solution. It won't be, it'll a, be a
0: local solution, an immediate solution, rather than a general solution that there's something structurally wrong about the way this is happening.
1: And it's likely not to be maintained. Right. It's going to be this coming, like Bomer, there'll probably be restrictions and other kinds of things because now the memory is fresh. But five years from now, ten, we'll, go, we'll go back.
0: And that's the fear about the situation also, that Lola knew but the next time an abuser is outed, maybe they won't write, they will not write that next to his name. But what's going to happen in three or four years once this sort of is on the back burner or people don't remember it? as. That's a, that's,
1: look, that's a question but in, in a sense, what we call Shas HaKosha, right? This one has hit people in a way that other things have not. And there have been scandals just as big in certain ways. People just as prominent in both the modern Orthodox and Haredi worlds in Israel and in America. I'm not out to throw out names. We all know the names. And as so I said, won't get accused of picking on people. So these scandals have taken place before. I think in a certain way, though it obviously unintended, Walters committing suicide has brought things into focus in a way that hasn't happened before. Because it forced them to either make the absurd statement that, no, he was murdered by the victims, by the reporters, by Leo. who knows? I guess we're all part of it because we all spoke against, we all wrote against it.
0: We're all murderers, right.
1: Right. But that didn't last. I mean, I just got in, I I asked one of my relatives in Israel who has grandchildren in Haredi schools. So I said, why are they being tearing from the teachers? And they said they started peddling the line, but it's being dropped. They can't maintain it. They're not able to maintain it. Well, how far this will go is the real question. And and unfortunately, in terms of the Haredi world, those who are not in that world can have very little influence on it. It's a very much of a closed world. If they can deny, you know, the validity of the bezen of Shmuel Eliyahu, who is Haredi, except that he's Zionist, not in every other way. He's not uh, secularly educated, modern orthodox and in, in any term. He's not a liberal. Right? He's clearly okay.
0: Haredi Datilumi, absolutely.
1: Absolute uh, And, and respected in that world. And the two other Dayana with him were pure Haredi. They were not his people. They were not Hadar people. They were Haredi Dayana. And even then they would say, "Eh, who is he to tell us? That's a big problem. They're going to have to do things from within. But the more modern community, the religious Zionist community, has its own problems. You, we pointed point out earlier some of the statements from very prominent Rabbanim. In some ways, Rev Tau's statement was worse than the Edelstein statement, frankly.
0: Oh, for sure. I think it probably was.
1: And he was very careful not to even imply that he was innocent. He didn't deal with that. And you could see that they were careful not to, you know, not to get into that.
0: He even might have implied that he was guilty by mentioning the yeah. habbal but Rav right. was saying the whole thing is, is this a conspiracy.
1: Now, look, we live in a world filled with conspiratorial thinking, which is a major worldwide problem. Uh, and we're not going to solve that one. Uh, but at least in our it.
0: world, though, we need to emphasize, at least in our datilumi centrist modern orthodox world, we have to do We can. We may not be able to influence the leadership of the Haredi world, but at least in our world to try and we can emphasize...
1: our leadership. we've accepted a system where Rabbanim and the cities are appointed, where you can have a city, you know, have Rabbanim who have no sheikhs to that city and they're the Rabbanim of the city. Right? And everybody says, okay, he's the rabbi of the city, so I ignore
0: it.
1: Ignoring it means that we have a rabbi of the city, but we don't have a rabbi of the city. There's no reason why people have to tolerate that. There's no reason why the religious community can't say, we want a voice and who leads us, and who are our Barnumar. These are small steps, but very clear-cut.
0: All I can say by way of conclusion is perhaps we, whoever we are, anyone listening, anyone who has a voice, who is part of the community, has to make sure that, unlike the Mayrón situation or so many other situations, we don't allow this to die down and be forgotten. We have to keep the feet of our leaders, so to speak, to the fire, to say we are not going to forget about, inappropriate statements, we're going to make sure that our leadership is leadership that we can trust. We just can't let this sort of die down. That's my big fear, that we're going to forget about it in a couple weeks, on to the next problem, and then everything is going to happen again like a cycle.
1: Yeah, well, that's a problem in general in the world that has very short memories. Social media, Twitter, right, everything is very short and quick. But by the way, Marone, by the way, I think does have something to teach us, which we didn't touch upon. And that is, we sent our kids to Miron knowing how it was set up and not caring, right? We can't just blame the Haredi world for that scandal. Yeshivas send busloads of kids to this chaotic place for something that, frankly, the Rosh Hashivas don't believe is means anything, but because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience, right? We're giving people experiences, right? It's a chavaya. Maybe they'll be inspired. But it was a cheap throw in that sense. I'm sorry to use that term, but it is, right? We should be thinking ourselves also, are all the yeshivas going to send their kids this year too? Uh, do we learn anything? Let's talk about the Haredi world. We learn anything.
0: That's absolutely true. I was part of the problem as well. Back when I co-ran a yeshiva, we sent guys to Miron as did all the yeshivas. Now, admittedly, in our defense... I'll say it was negligent, but it didn't occur to us that this would happen. And should anybody do it now, obviously, it's a much bigger problem. Knowing what we know now, obviously, sending your students there, unless there are some major, major changes, is the height of negligence. And at the same time, point the finger at ourselves. Why don't we check it out better? Why don't we make sure that it really was safe back then? Had we thought about it, had we had a little imagination, we could have realized as well that this is not safe. We have to point the finger towards ourselves as much as towards other people. Well, Rav Yosef Blau, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to me today and to my listeners. This is very, very important, a very difficult and upsetting and unsettling discussion. But hopefully, if people can keep this in mind and remember that leadership depends on the um on the people, as much as it depends on people appointing them from above, we have to insist on having a voice. We have to insist on our leaders being the people that we accept and that we deserve. And hopefully, maybe things can change for the better.
1: But we have to be looking for the right things, too. Also true. Not just being popular. We have to be standing up for principles, moral principles.
0: That's unquestionably true. Thank you very much, Rabbi Blau.
1: My pleasure.
0: Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit JewishCoffeehouse.com for other episodes of the Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences